morning, Alan. Uh, great on a beautiful day like today, but with uh, quite shocking news, as you've just described. So let's look at it now. Let's analyse it. Where are we at at this point in time, Professor Kleena? Unfortunately, exactly as you say, right in the middle of a massive wave. And, uh, of course, you know, all the excitement of the extra bank holiday and the removal of the restrictions and everybody getting together and travelling. And there's this huge, huge wave coming across, coming down. And luckily for most of us, because most of us have been vaccinated, um, we're only experiencing very mild symptoms and lots of people with no symptoms at all. But just because of the sheer numbers, um, our hospitals are becoming overwhelmed again. And it's just such stress for the healthcare workers. This is, these are the people I'm just so sympathetic to have been struggling for the last uh, two years. And now to be trying to look up, look after um, patients who are coming into the hospital with other things and trying to be looking after them in the context of COVID as well as the sick COVID people. Really challenging. Uh, your, your colleague Luke O'Neill says this new COVID strain may be the most infectious and impossible to avoid. Would you agree with him? Mm-hmm. I, I, I think so. I, it seems to be absolutely everywhere. And very, very, I, I don't think it's impossible. <laughs> to, I mean, uh, it's not completely impossible. No, it's not completely impossible to avoid. But to avoid it, um, we need to, uh, if people want to avoid it, they have to live under the conditions that we did right at the beginning of the, of the pandemic, keeping completely isolated where are, and wearing masks, going out, testing regularly, asking people to test if they come in. And unfortunately, this is what um, vulnerable people have to do, those who um, haven't got, been vaccinated are those who are immunosuppressed for other reasons. And um, so there are quite a few uh, of pe- people in this country who um, are really quite nervous about it. Now, that's against the vast majority who don't have to be. And if only we could identify exactly who has to be really careful. Right. And how can we do that? Is there any hope that we could ever do that? Well, ultimately, yes, there's a lot of research going into, going into that and all your listeners will be acutely aware of the fact that there is, within their own families, this huge spectrum of um, human response. You know, as, as we've said, and we all know, we know anecdotally, that there are some people who just don't get the virus. And then there are others who get very sick. And then there's this huge spectrum in between. And so this has probably got to do with um, variation in our genes, the genetic variation. And so this is the topic of a whole lot of research. And is that something that you're currently working on then? Yeah, the, the bit that I'm interested in is the people who don't get infected. Hmm. Um, so who would share a house or ideally a bed with somebody who was PCR or who is PCR positive, but they've remained PCR negative. Um, so we're, we're just we're part of a big international study looking at for, at the genetic variation for that. So um, we're just we've sent off some um, DNA samples that we've collected from volunteers, and we're expecting to get this data back quite soon. Now they're looking at reducing the isolation period. Bernie is very concerned about this. She sent in the following text, Professor Cleaner. She says it doesn't make sense to reduce the isolation period. People will be going back to work and spreading it, and I can't for the life mm-hmm. of me wonder why they don't make masks mandatory again. They worked well before. So that's just yeah. one listener who's texted in, uh, deeply yeah. concerned about the possibility of the reduction of the isolation period. Yeah. What do you think of that? I completely agree with her. I mean, it really it just, uh, but it's to do with trying to get the economy and education back working again. I can see why this tension between the political, economic and, and health decisions, you know, it really is very tough. But absolutely anybody who's um, been positive um, should keep uh, isolate. I would have thought. Should, should be isolated for as long as they are testing positive on the antigen test because it means they're shedding the virus. And certainly if they're going out and about, should certainly be wearing the, 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 the proper the N95 mask 
I, I agree with Rita completely. Uh, and I mean, they're recommending that we wear masks on public transport and in um, public places, or, you know, in, where, where there's lots of people gathering, like in shops. And, and I really think we should be. We have maybe they're expecting us to take personal responsibility for it. And do you continue to be a possibility of sharing the virus if you're testing? So, say you've done four or five days and uh, yeah. the line is getting thinner on your antigen tests. Are you are you continued risk of sh- of spreading the virus? When when do you stop spreading the virus? Well, again, this is back to the spectrum of uh, the huge broad spectrum of differences of human responses to infection and the immune response. Uh, there's no definite answer to that. You, you can't tell for for each person, um, three, you know, when the line is faint, you're not infectious. If it's if it's been getting fainter and fainter, the 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 chances lessen, of course. But you can't ever say for definite that a person is not shedding the virus when the while the line is faint. So it's only when the when the line is completely gone that you can take gone. it that that you, that you are no longer at risk of share, of sharing the virus. Yes. Yes, yes. And then, uh, I really don't want to kind of uh, throw spanners in the works, but um, inevitably, I've been thinking about this, uh, inevitably um, some tests are negative, even though the person um, may well be positive. That That is a problem. We do get false negatives. And I think this, one of the main reasons for this is that um, we don't do the test properly. <laughs> I was thinking about this because I was in contact with somebody over there and so I've been doing antigen tests. And we really, it really is unpleasant sticking that blessed thing up your nose. You know? And so many, I suspect many of us don't do the test properly. And, and so this is why it's important that we do it several times if we've been in contact with someone. And what is the best way of doing the test then? <laughs> what do you suggest? <laughs> shove that thing up. And waggle it around. We're supposed to twist it around, twist it the nares, as they call up the nostril, yeah. and rub the thing around the nostril. Just pushing it up once is, is probably not enough. Now, having said that, I know there are some people who've pushed it up so far that they have drawn blood. Right. Okay. And that may know. also be so there is obviously a happy medium. But I think um, many of us should really just think about how we're doing it and follow the instructions properly. You know, at ten times, or sorry, five times around each nostril. Yeah. And kind of twirl the little thing, and then make sure you put it, insert it right into the fluid that's in the the little Eppendorp tube. And again, twirl the little thing ten times to make sure that if there is any viral particle there, it gets into the fluid. Okay. And then um, uh, turn it upside down and put the four drops onto the test. And, and basically, your advice is: do not attempt to to move away on uh, move out of isolation until the line is completely gone. <laughs> That's, that, well, that, that, I'm just thinking you're, you're producing virus. Uh, so uh, just to ask whether you want to, whether you're happy to put, that, yeah, put people at risk. I mean, if you're, if you're um, wearing the mask and you're going to pl- a place where it's not very crowded or where, and where the um, air is, is being changed, that's a whole conversation we should be having as well, Alan, is about air quality. You yeah. know, um, this is an airborne virus, so you, you need to imagine it getting into the air, squeezing out around your mask and getting into the uh, into the air. If people are 10 or 20 metres away from you, then obviously they're not going to get it. But if you're sitting in a place, like if you're having a dinner party with um, six or eight other people, and you just, are, are you comfortable with that? Are you, are you comfortable, are they comfortable with it? I think that's, that's yeah. probably the best advice. And the BA2 variant, just looking at this, is this kind of manifesting yeah. quicker 
and disappearing fa- faster as well. These are some of the things that people are talking about at the moment, yes. Professor Kleena. Yeah, yeah. Does it, does it, like, you, you get it much quicker and it actually does leave your system faster as well. Is that happening? It, 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 yes, it seems to. It, it, it just comes in really quickly. It's fa- from a virological point of view, it's fascinating. What is the mutation in the spike protein? Um, and it has got a number of other mutations of other differences from the original Omicron that makes it infect better. So it gets into the cells in our uh, lungs and divides very quickly. But then our immune system seems to be able to get rid of it quickly. So it's more like um, the, the, the common cold, the coronavirus that causes the common cold, we could say. And, and maybe, maybe this is what's going to happen over the next years as more and more variants emerge. I mean, don't forget, there's just loads of this virus around the globe. I'm awfully afraid that we're, this is, is far from over. Right. This whole thing is far from over. And uh, like, what are the symptoms of this one? I, I'm told there could be a gastrointestinal effect yes. of this, and there also yes. it could be breathing and sore throat. Are there specifics attached to BA2? Y- yes, uh, um, I'm hearing changes. That's what I, I've heard as well. That there, you know, that it's not quite the the lung sort of one, but yes, um, uh, vomiting and diarrhea and the sore throat. And some people very my, mild symptoms, Alan, just literally hardly knowing that they're sick at all. Uh, some fatigue. The fatigue seems to be the common, the common one. And, and that is the worry then with this one, that it might be very mild infection, but um, is it going to cause long COVID? Right. So that, this is a huge yeah, unknown. I've heard that mentioned as well. Fatigue is one. And just yeah. look, trying to give people as much information as I can while, yeah. I, while I'm speaking <laughs> to you. Look, yeah. I'd like to thank you for taking time to talk to us. Are there any yeah. other major points you'd like to get out this morning as we head into the weekend? We were told yesterday by the HSE, we spoke to Dr. Sarah, and we were talking about fresh air, and she was very anxious that people get out in the fresh air. Absolutely, absolutely. That was, and with this beautiful weather, I was only thinking before coming on to you, um, you know, if we, if we all, we all know most of us um, during COVID, it's very difficult to keep the weight off. But if we could kind of resolve again, I just wonder what we'd be able to do to the infection rate if the entire nation lost on average a stone. You know, if we did something like that. So getting out, but one way or the other, we would all feel so much better if we took more exercise, no matter what it is, even if it is just a walk around your garden, if you could just get out or, or the you know, where, where you live, just around a tiny bit and built it up every day. Certainly the psychology of being outside and um, just doing some exercise um, could be hugely beneficial. Yeah. But just to return to the um, the, the, the clean air thing, um, I, I think this is really something that we should pursue um, with our schools. What, one way or the other, we should be thinking about how we can have um, cleaner air so as to reduce the chances of infection um, for, forever, not just COVID. And uh, I, th- I think those are conversations that should be had um, at parent-teacher meetings and, um, and for us to consider fundraising to put in HEPA filters um, into, the, into the school rooms so as to provide clean air. Right. I, I heard somebody um, draw an analogy uh, with um, dirty water 300 years ago when it was discovered that it was dirty water that passed on mm. cholera. And this person said that um, in, you know, 10, 20 years time, people will be astonished that um, we haven't paid as much attention to um, cleaning our air as, as we might do. Well, we will have a, definitely have a discussion with you on that at a later date, Professor Cleaner. Yes. As we round off, people are asking just one final question for you. When do you anticipate that this wave will peak? Oh, dear. 
<laughs> um, how long is a piece of string? But um, hopefully, well, hopefully, yes, in the next few weeks. It still hasn't peaked, I think, after last weekend. Um, and hopefully um, another another two weeks. I understand that the hospital here, the, the Wexford Hospital, has asked to, for people not to visit. Yes. So, as I say, I really have such huge sympathy for them trying to operate on, on COVID-infected patients for other conditions. This is the big, big um, tragedy coming down the road, Alan, is that there, there's going to be a huge increase in the diagno- late diagnosis of cancers. You know, and treatments are because people have kept away. So this is this is something that's really, really very worry. sad. Yeah. Mm, mm. Listen, yeah. pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you for your advice okay, uh, and for yeah. being so honest and open with us as well this morning. I hope it's been of assistance to the listeners. I'm sure yeah. it has. And we talk to Hopefully. you again soon, Professor. And thank you. Okay, so, uh, stay well. Good, good to You're talk welcome. to you.